We all want to feel better, be happier, and have more freedom. And there are endless resources at our fingertips. But wading through a sea of self-help books, podcasts, and workshops takes more time than anyone has. Except me. That's my job. I curate and translate the latest, most effective personal development wisdom to help you elevate your personal experience and improve the way you show up for others. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is Self-Helpful. Why you want a great path more than the final destination. We live in a world construct based on achievements. It's what you do that matters, what you've done. And we miss the daily primary engagement of simply what we are doing. I recently hiked four 13,000 foot peaks in one day with a group of guys. I honestly don't remember much about the peaks themselves. We'd stop, look around, grab a drink or bite to eat and adjust our packs, then move on. What we remember is the mountain goat that came up to us along the way. The clouds boiling up a mountain pass while we sat in a saddle of the mountain. The dip in the lake above tree line that was, I think, the coldest thing I've ever immersed myself in. And then tailgating at the end of the hike with food and drinks to recount it all. It was the journey we most enjoyed. Getting to the top is often a little anticlimactic. And this is what my guest brought to light in this episode when he cited that his focus in the second half of life has moved from, I want to get to this place, to... I want to be on this path. It's so simple and yet so profound, as you'll hear me state as we talk about it. This is part three of my series on Arthur Brooks and his new book, From Strength to Strength, Finding Success, Happiness, and Deep Purpose in the Second Half of Life. And for this discussion, I brought on a co-host who not only knows the message well, but is actually colleagues with Arthur. Arthur actually cites him in his book, and it's Robert Waldinger, who I did a series on in January of 2023. And Bob is a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and director of the Harvard Study of Adult Development at Massachusetts General Hospital. His TED Talk is titled, What Makes a Good Life? It has over 43 million views just on the TED site and another 20-some million on YouTube. And a book of his that culminates the project, and that's what I did the series with him on, is called The Good Life, Lessons from the World's Longest Scientific Study of Happiness. I experienced Bob as an incredibly insightful person, an expert in the area of happiness and fulfillment, and just a complete joy of a human. It was great to talk with him again, but the insight you're about to hear, I feel, is truly life-changing. Friends, thank you for tuning in. This self-helpful podcast was founded through the Zig Ziglar Corporation and June 15 and 16 of 2023, I'll be in Dallas to attend and speak at the Ziglar Coach Summit. If you're looking to influence people for the better, professionally or personally, which I know you are, or you wouldn't be here listening to the show, I invite you to join us. Join me. I'll be there. Uh, go to Ziglar, Z-I-G-L-A-R dot com slash coach summit. And following these sponsors who help make the show possible and provide great resources for your life, I bring you Robert Waldinger and a discussion on Arthur Brooks and the topic of his book, From Strength to Strength, Finding Success, Happiness, and Deep Purpose in the Second Half of Life. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a 
tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Bob, it's an honor to have you back, period, to talk about anything, uh, but so neat to talk about Arthur Brooks and his message in his book, Strength to Strength, which you are featured in uh, for your guys, your work together on happiness and your overlaps there. So thank you for coming back, and I am eager to dig into the message with you. Well, talking with you is always a treat, so I'm delighted to be back. Ah, Well, thank you. I, and I want to ask, um, you got this message. I mean, was this a, when Arthur came forth with this book, Strength to Strength, now you guys are colleagues. Is it something that you knew about conceptually before that? Or, because for me, this was, this was a brand new look at this concept of moving from fluid knowledge to crystallized knowledge in this first half, half and second half of life. I found myself hearing Arthur's message and feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm that person, that striver over here who's just trying, looking at how can I keep this going as long as I can. Uh, where were you when you got that concept? I think I was in a similar place to you in that I was thinking, gosh, I, I, I really need to keep all my, all my fluid skills up. And, and when, when I, I began to understand what Arthur was trying to tell us, I realized, gosh, you know, really what people are asking me for is my fund of knowledge. It's that wisdom that's kind of accrued over such a long period of time. It's not my mental agility anymore. And that that was a relief in a way. It was like, oh, okay, that's what I have to offer now. That's interesting. Mental agility. Is that something that you see? Because as I've talked about this, I find myself talking with peers and then saying, yeah, I just find myself with some of the things that were dear to me, my primary tools, and I'm just tired. Not even so much that I'm lacking. I'm just tired. Yes. Yes. I I agree. I think there, there is a feeling of being tired that I'm seeing in myself. I'm seeing it in lots of the people I work with in psychotherapy, I'm seeing it in my colleagues, where what people are saying is, the things I used to do, uh, I just don't want to do anymore. Yeah. And they're all worthwhile. I just don't want to do them. So for I'll give you an example. In my field, it's writing scientific papers. And particularly, it's being the first author 
on a paper. That means you crunch the numbers of with the data. You write the draft of the paper, and then you give it to other people to help you with. And that was just what I did over yeah. and over again. And at a certain point, I suddenly had the sense of, I don't want to do that anymore. And then I began to see that my colleagues, many of them felt exactly the same way. And several of them said, oh, I haven't done that in several years now. I just got to a point where I was done. Nobody can quite say why we or how we get to that place, but many of us do, where we just say, no, that was good back then, but it's not good for me now. Yeah. That right there is what's interesting to me. I know Arthur talked about some type of, you know, mathematical work that he had done in the past and that he looks at it now and says, I can't even understand what I wrote. And oh my gosh, Bob, I resonated with that so much. And because I've looked at things that I've done in the past and I feel, I think honestly, a little fear because I've so far until now, until this message, yeah, what yeah. we're talking about, but I, but I looked at it and thought, gosh, I, I did that. And I, I have no concept of how. I did that. So to hear him say that. So do you find that not only are you and, and people you talk with, not only are you tired, but do you look back on some of the stuff you did and, and it's hard to conceptualize the, how you did that, how you conceived of that? Well, for me, it's more the feeling of, oh, if I were to do that again, it would be too heavy a lift. Okay. Like maybe I could have done it, you know, 10 years ago, but I don't, and, and so it might be that I couldn't do it, but the feeling more is I'm exhausted. I don't want to do it yeah. anymore. So That's reconcile that though, with the concept of, I'm just going to use it of slowing down because I still struggle and feel like, I don't know that I want to slow down. It's not very inspiring. That does feel lacking. But when you say that's too heavy of a lift, if you look at now what you're able to do on the crystallized knowledge side with wisdom, you could look back in the past and say, you didn't have, well, I don't know if you had the strength to lift, you didn't even have the know-how to lift what you're able to lift now on this other side. Is that fair? I think that is fair. And certainly what I'm noticing is that people want to hear that from me now. I don't think people were turning to me for wisdom in the past. And I don't know if that's because they didn't see it and I already had it or because really I didn't have it until now. And I'm showing up with more crystallized knowledge. Um, and that's why people are asking me about it. I can't tell what's changed, whether it's me or the way the world is receiving me, but boy, it's changed. Well, let me ask about that then. What has, I had a discussion with a group that I lead this morning on this topic and I found myself thinking through, gosh, there's still, I mean, I know you, you're incredibly busy. You have a lot on your plate. We talked about that in the show we did together. You have many roles that you fill, many activities that you're doing. And I don't see you looking at, you know, slowing down per se, but are you, addressing it differently like that. So here's a topic I'm interested in. In the past, I would have been the lead on a scientific you know, paper to get it published. Now, I just want to know this, or I want to spur this on, but I want to let somebody else do it. Is that? Exactly. Exactly. So a lot of it for me is saying, no, not that anymore. Like I, you know, and that, that's this, it, it's a gut feeling for me of, I don't want that 
now. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it was really good before, and I'm glad I did it. It was worthwhile, but not now. And that's a very unusual experience for me. It doesn't mean necessarily slowing down. You're right. You know, so I'm doing a lot of things, but, but there are these very clear signals for me of what to say no to yeah. that I didn't used to have. Well, if we are on the side, if we are saying, okay, I'm going to go from this strength, this you know, fluid knowledge and the activities that surround that of you know, innovation, in, in, in a sense, to over here, utilizing wisdom, it feels like that by proxy, even in my, my mind's perception that it requires, I don't want to say, I don't know if a slower pace, but being present more, a, a, a pondering, a, those things that take time. You don't do those on the run. You don't do those amongst a, a frantic life. They take that, but I, but I want to look at it. And I really feel as I talked with Arthur now talking with you that I'm looking at this as this, the second half, but it's a, it's an evolution. It's a graduation in essence is, is the word I like. Would you put that there? I think it is. I love that concept of a, it being a graduation because I, sometimes I say, wait a minute, what's wrong with me? I used to want to be doing that thing and now I don't want to do it. I want to do this other thing. What's wrong? And, and so it's easy for me, and I've heard some of my colleagues too say um, that there's something wrong with the, these changes. And what you're saying is, and Arthur is saying, no, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a graduation. It's an evolution. It's a natural process. The only problem is if we fight against it. Okay, there's where I want to go right there. So now I'm going to dig in in reference to this topic to your book, which is sitting over my right shoulder here on your studies on happiness. As you now see, when you got introduced to Arthur's message, I'm wondering how did your thoughts go in regards or do they go because you're still involved in the study to people's happiness later in life? Did you see that? My gosh, and I'm just theorizing, but I, I would want to say, could you extrapolate now and, and go look, okay, yeah, I think the people that I see happier in the later stages of life, of course, number one, as your book talked about, they have good relationships, but yeah. did you see them having a propensity? Gosh, the ones that, whether they were conscious of it or not, but gravitated more into a lifestyle that harnessed their crystallized knowledge, as opposed to just trying to keep the grind going as much as they can, were happier. I think that's right. And I think it's also the sense of limited time and that's, they're connected. So part of this transition is fueled by the realization that life is short and we get that realization more starting in middle age and it grows on us, right? You know, when I was in my twenties, oh yeah, there's death. Yeah, I know it happens to everybody, but it's a long way off and maybe, maybe it won't really happen to me, right? Right. And and then what we know is that when we get into our 40s and 50s, it's like, whoa, this is really happening. Like I can feel myself getting old. And that sets in motion some shift that surprisingly make us happier. And there's mm -hmm. good research on this. We get happier as we get older as a species. And a lot of it has to do with the sense of, oh, I want to maximize my time that I have left on this earth. And to do that... I need to do the things I do well, the things I care about, and I need to be with the people I care about. Hmm. 
And that's going to mean letting some things go when it's no longer the right thing to be doing. And so, so that what I think happens partly is that we get a sense of the preciousness of life and that that starts to shift a lot of our our orientation and our preferences. Is it, so when you say letting go, my first thoughts go to of what, of what categorically? Yeah. Well, letting go of the shoulds. So let's say, you know, I really should see those people because they've always been my friends, even though I don't really enjoy being with them anymore. I really should go to those meetings, even though I don't get much out of them anymore. Um, And we start letting go of some of the shoulds that we kept holding on to earlier in life. Would that be fair to say letting go that that the first half of life were we're partaking of a lot of what could be hope and what could be that now you're at a point of saying, gosh, time is short. I've done a lot of that. Now I'm going to deal with what is. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of the earlier phase of adulthood is accumulating things. And I mean it in the best sense, not material things so much, but accumulating like, you know, partners and children and, a work life, a career, and, you know, we, we develop, we build, we create. And then, you know, a lot of the letting go of the second half of life can be a natural process. <laughs> the Scandinavians have something they call death cleaning, where they literally clean up, they give stuff away. And it's in preparation. It's a letting go that happens over time so that their families don't have to clean out a lifetime full of stuff. Yeah. Right. And, and I think more metaphorically, we may do some of that um, in our lives as well, where we start letting go of some of the things we've accumulated in the first half. I'll ask you if you've done that. It was interesting. Arthur talked you know, to that, the idea of yeah, accumulating. And then there's still that perspective of, gosh, if you're no matter what age, man, if you're 50, 60, 70, and you're successful, you're going to keep accumulating bigger house, more cars. You, tell yeah. me. And we, we've been saying to our friends, please don't give us gifts anymore. Don't give us material objects because we don't know where to put them. And we don't want, we don't want more books in our home. We we read ebooks now, not because ebooks are better. It's just that it means that we don't destroy any more trees and we, we don't accumulate new books to put on our bookshelves that are already jam packed, as you can see uh-huh. behind me. Uh-huh. And we're saying, don't give us gifts. Give to the causes that we care about. Make a donation to something that we think is really important. Please, that's your gift to us. So, so it is, it, we, we are literally trying to let go of things and stop accumulating things. Have you found yourself just with that aspect of the scientific terms, reticular activator, you know, once you're aware of something, it just, you're, you're super aware that with this, has it gotten you to looking at people and noticing it, noticing that, Oh my goodness, that woman, she's, she hasn't gotten this message and she's on her way to burn out or frustration. Yeah. And it's painful to watch. It's painful to watch some of my colleagues who, you know, who email me saying, will you please write this letter in support of my winning this next award? And this might be a colleague who's in his 70s, has won countless awards. 
he doesn't need this, mm. right? And my sense is, oh, gosh, fella, don't you want to pursue some other things right now? Or, you know, the people buying their next mansion when they don't need it. I mean, if anything, my wife and I are, we live in a relatively modest home. It's its nice, but its not, nobody would call it a mansion. And we're thinking, gosh, this is big. You know, its it's going to be time to downsize soon. So when I watch people still needing to accumulate, I it makes me feel a little sad. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to think about 20,000 breaths, according to the EPA the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and air doctor is just the best. Air doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code Kevin. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com. Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital. And Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is what I found myself pondering this morning in this conversation is without having this concept of strength to strength, moving from one and then letting it go, um, is there 
do you see a propensity for people to, if they're going to they keep going, that they're either going to burn out, they're going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing until they just can't. So that frustration, bitterness, burnout, whatever, or the propensity. Cause what I found myself thinking is, gosh, I think a lot of people probably get to that point and realize this isn't going to be sustainable. This isn't tenable. And they just, in essence, give up. They just check out. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that people do it all different ways, right? So some people never get there. They're still striving, accumulating, you know, into their nineties. And we know, we know billionaires who are still trying to make more money in their eighties and nineties, some of whom are public figures. Um, And so those people probably never, never evolve. Some people evolve sooner and some people evolve later, but some people evolve later and then turn around and say, Ooh, I might not have needed to spend the last 20 years doing the same old thing I've always done. I might've been able to move on to something new, to a new strength. All right. And I think what Arthur is asking us all to do is take stock sooner rather than later yeah. and say, is there a new strength I can move toward so they don't wake up 20 years from now and say, Ooh, I didn't, I didn't need to stay on that path that wasn't working so well. How do you, Bob, how do you view the concept of, it feels innate in us, especially those, let's go back to Arthur's term of strivers. Okay. It may not be everybody, but those who are really, they, they are innovative. They are building, they are trying to, to really progress with their life that we get that feeling of we've invested so much in this trajectory and we ex- we just kind of inherently expect it to keep going if we're successful. And if it doesn't keep going, it's because we're not successful. And if now we're saying, yeah, but this trajectory in this strength of mind and ability is going to lessen, but there's an opportunity over here. Still though, it's still leaving a lot of our identity. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's leaving our identity because what, how do you go to a party and people ask you what you do and you say, well, I used to do this thing and now I don't know, right? That's a really scary thing for many of us, especially people who've been strivers, yeah. right? So it's a, it is, as you say, it's an identity shift. Some people are so frightened of that, that they just won't do it. They'll keep on, they'll keep striving on the same path regardless other people are willing to say, okay, let me see how I might change this. I mean, you know, and, and I know for me, I have both. Like sometimes I'm scared to let go yeah. uh, to on Thursday, this coming Thursday, I am sending 300 boxes of paper to a Harvard archive. They are all the records of the Harvard study of adult development. Wow. Because it's time to archive those records. Wow. But that means that I'm not going to be able to go to a file cabinet and pull out somebody's file and leaf through it the way I used to be able to. That's a big shift in my identity as a researcher. But if I don't do that, a lot of things are going to grind to a halt. Yeah. So I'm just saying it's like one of those small steps that can feel really large. Like, oh, boy, who am I? If I don't have this big room full of file cabinets and data, that's mine. I, so I'm, I'm wanting to, 
I'm wanting to, uh, you know, make these concepts positive that this isn't a, you know, second half of life and slowing down. This is a graduation. That feels better to me. So in this, in the sense that you're talking about here too, if we're going to leave this primary role that we've been fulfilling, or at least in this, it doesn't mean we're leaving the initiative that we have overall, but we're, cause I had some folks this morning, Bob literally say, I feel like I'm starting, having to start over. And that's scary. Can we change that? We can change that. First of all, we never really start over. I mean, we carry so much with us yeah. from day to day. Right. So let me just get personal for a moment Please. about myself. So, I'm archiving all these boxes of paper, my study, but I am spending so much of my time now taking the messages from the study and bringing them out to the world, which I've done with you. Like you, you know, hosted me on your podcast. I wrote that book sitting behind you to take the messages and bring them to the world. So it's, it's a different identity in a way I've become something slightly different, which is instead of a number cruncher who writes technical papers, I'm now more of a communicator of what we've found in our science. So it's a, it's a shift in role. It's not giving up. It's not starting over. It's not retreating from the world. That feels hopeful. But thinking back to my perspective of, Again, just as a as an analogy that spoke to me of of battle or whatever of being on the front lines, and that's what that's what I know. I know that identity that I start it from scratch, like you talked about. You get into the numbers, man, and you do the work, and and them saying, and "Gosh, you've you've graduated. You can you're gonna. Come. We need you back here. We need your. You've learned so much on the front lines that right now we've got people who are a little younger and faster for one thing, but." They have no capacity to come over here and help us strategize uh, behind the lines, come over here. So to me, that sounds hopeful. And though it does entail what we've talked about here, the reality of going, so what do I wear? And, and, and what, what time do we, and and so what do we do? And is there, yeah, (laughs) when's lunch? I mean, so we're out of sorts, but it's not starting over. Which button do I click on this screen? Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. But it's not a starting over overall. We can still benefit from that life's work from that, but just change the role. Yeah. The other thing I think it's important, you know, for some of those people who ask you, wait, do I have to start over completely? Is that the abilities that we've developed carry over into new fields, into new endeavors, right? So So maybe you're not making the same widget that you manufactured for 30 years, but you developed all kinds of skills that are transferable. And it's really important to to see what those are and to see where they might be needed now, right? To what you might, you're really good at managing people. It might be you're really good at spreadsheets or you're really good at organizational structure, whatever it might be. Uh, and that transfers. That feels hopeful. And back to what you said about Arthur on, it was something to the effect of getting ahead of the game, like not waiting for this to happen. That, w- that feels like a key ingredient. So if you want to be well prepared for the second half of life and leveraging it going from this strength to this strength is, well, I feel like what you're saying is know your strengths. W- what are you doing? Because you, I'm sure you've 
I would think, Bob, in your role that you would have a decent amount of people who have been doing what they're doing for a long time and they don't understand it outside of that role and they're not aware of their transferable skills. Yeah, they're not. Actually, in medicine, it can be really tough because there are some doctors who are walking around my hospital in their 80s and 90s because they don't know what else to do. Hmm. Now, in fairness, some of them just love it and that's fine. But for some of it's I would have no identity if I weren't here with a stethoscope around my neck, walking the halls of the hospital. And that seems to me to be unfortunate because there's so many roses to stop and smell along the way that don't grow in the hallways of my hospital. And that it may be time for many of us to start doing that, myself included. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, did you, did you go, were you, were you aware or did you go through a time of discovery of saying, okay, here's what I'm doing, what I've been doing, what are the transferable skills that transcend the specific role? Yeah, I did. And, and it's been, there've been growing pains. It's not like I just sit down, figure it out and say, oh yeah, okay. I know where to go now. Yeah. It's like feeling my way. So some of it for me has been trial and error. I try something, it works well. I try another thing, it doesn't work out so well. I keep pointing in the directions of the things that I enjoy and that I have the skills to be a benefit. And, and what I find is that this trial and error has led me down new paths. And some of them are little dead ends and I come back and try again. But, but that, that trial and error is something that we all should be doing all the time mm-hmm. uh, if we can, you know, and, and I bet, I bet you do it. I bet, you know, you try some new things, right? You, you have a different office setup than you did because <laughs> you, because something was going to work better if you did it. You know, you, there's just all these little tiny steps that change our paths yeah. in very helpful ways. In your study, Bob, and looking at, well, I got a couple questions in regards to your study, your book, in regards to this topic, does it hold true a stat of some type that I was given a long time ago is that most people who create a life's work, it happens in their fifties or later. Do you see that still as a case, because I, I feel that maybe that perspective has been watered down. We're in an age right now, of course, where everything is communicated. And so we're going to see the next 20 year old billionaire or, or whatever. And I don't know, are there more of them or is it just because we can now hear about them more easily bringing back that the preface to say, is that going with the fluid knowledge, the crystallized knowledge that it is in that second half of life when we are most likely to understand, conceive of and harness and leverage our life's work and create that masterpiece, if you will. Well, it varies a lot. You know, there's been some study of which field you're in and how how that works. So mathematicians create a lot of their best work, their most ingenious discoveries really early, like in their 20s. You know, a lot of the greatest science, particularly physics, um, gets done by people early in life. On the other hand, there are people who really don't become great until late in life. Uh, some of it depends on the field. Some of it depends on the person. Some of it depends on your life path. Yeah. You know, some people have been raising kids for 30 years and then they take off. They become great writers, yeah. you know, or great artists. 
Um, so again, one size never fits all. And uh, what I think you're pointing to is the idea that there is lots of room for discovery mm-hmm. when we get to the second half of life. The, the se- no matter what you've done in the first half, there's room for discovery in the second half. And to leave ourselves open to that is really important. Well, I appreciate what you just said. Uh, I, I mean, I have nine children um, and I have spent... Uh, I've j- we just hit the 30 year mark in my marriage with my wife. And I feel like I have devoted so much to the family that now I feel at 52, I feel like I'm embracing my art for the first, which, you know, is telltale. My book just came, you know, it's just coming out first book and hey, I yeah. feel that. So maybe it's not so much a looking at the exact age, but yeah, taking into account the trajectories of our lives and where we've given priority makes sense. Yeah. How, how did you, how do you see, again, looking at your study, when I talk about that propensity, that if we're not aware of this ability to go from one strength and harness another one, that we're liable to either burn out or give up. And I, I'm going to be, I want to be very tactful here on the giving up. My question's around retirement. And as I hear Arthur, literally as, a, as an individual, it feels like, man, he's just, He's not, he's not looking at slowing down as far as his progress overall. I don't see that in you. I would be very like, what are you going to retire from? What you enjoy? Right, exactly. exactly. So how do you see, how did that happen in the study? Where did you see the health, unhealth and of, of retirement and how that did feed into this concept of people who understood the strengths that they now have in, the, in later life? Well, first of all, Retirement is all made up. It's an artificial construction. Okay. It's actually developed by Bismarck in Germany in the 1880s because the Germans wanted to make room for younger factory workers and the older factory workers were staying around too long. So they offered a pension to people 65 and over if the older factory workers would, would retire. That's how they instituted retirement. Um, And so that's an artificial age. And it happened because the life expectancy in Germany of the male worker was 67. So they weren't actually guaranteeing much when they said, retire at 65 and we'll give you a pension. So so that's all made up, right? What that means is that, that, yes, some of us have jobs where we either are all in or we need to stop. But even that doesn't mean we have to stop working for pay, working for not pay, um, certainly being active and engaged. So I think what we're seeing now is people creating their own next adventure much more than before. And that's what Arthur's doing. That's what I expect you're doing. It's certainly what I'm doing. You know, I'm doing many things that I wasn't doing 10, 20 years ago. I'm working a lot, but I'm doing things I enjoy. Uh, when, I, when I'm not doing things I enjoy, I try to let those things go. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in some ways, I have a lot of privilege. I have the freedom to do that, and I'm lucky in that way. Not everybody has the freedom, but I think all of us have the freedom to not be locked into a mindset of, I work till I'm 65, and then I stop, and I go home and sit on the couch, and watch daytime TV. That, that, that is 
a total made up scenario that most people don't need to do. There's so much more to life, especially now as we're living longer and healthier. Can I assume that you saw that, see that in the study that, uh, you know, happiness when people understand, when they're doing things that they enjoy, that they do continue being, can we call it productive as opposed to, yeah, daytime TV. And I would say engaged. So whether they produce things or not, the, the people who were the happiest were the people who stayed engaged. And that might mean, you know, being engaged at your church, being engaged in a gardening club, uh, being engaged, you know, playing golf, whatever lights you up, it, it could be anything. Um, but these were not the people who went home and sat still, right? That, that, that's the difference, that it was the people who were uh, involved with people, with activities they cared about, um, who had a sense of a future where they wanted to do things that they loved to do. And maybe that they cared about leaving a legacy in the world around. Uh, there's a great uh, kickoff right there on legacy. I not long ago went on a Mexico trip with a, a bunch of guys, kind of an adventure, went surfing and, and playing. But the focus was legacy. And it got us talking at some pretty vulnerable spots of, you know, if legacy, let's say if it's, if it's money, is that a legacy? Is that a help uh, to our kids? But it could be, it could help them or it could send them to hell in a handbasket because they can't handle that. So what is legacy? And I'll tell you what we came to, and this was, this was actually before you and I met and it was whatever we can impart to a relationship to help some, help lift someone up, help connect with them. But it brought into that mind, what are we really leaving behind? It changes the perspective a lot. Yes. Yes. And, and the leaving, what do, what do you want? Someone once asked me this question, what do you want to live in the world because you were here? And, and the answer to that question, so it could be some money because you feel like giving money to certain people or certain causes would make things happen in the world that you want to have happen. But it could also be, you know, what skills do you want to give to people in the next generation? Uh, What values? It's all of that. Would you see in this aspect, again, that, you know, that Arthur kind of dispel or, or showcases that we contend to as strivers continue to, we're just trying to push it and push it as long as we can that it's harder to leave that and go into this other realm of strength if we are dissatisfied with what we have achieved over here. So we're going to keep pushing and pushing as opposed to, let's say you coming to that point and going, gosh, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with what I have achieved here. Does that make sense? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Right. Yeah, it's, it's like that sense of being enough, right? Yeah. Like, is it enough? And and was this life good enough? You know, Eric Erickson, the psychologist, was one of the first people to talk about the stages of adult life. And he talked about the last stage of life being what he called a dialectic between integrity and despair. And integrity is being able to look back on your life and say, this was good enough. I was good enough. I did enough. Not I did everything I could have or I was the greatest, just enough. Versus despair, meaning I'm lacking. My life didn't amount to what it needed to amount to. It's all that. So so it's integrity versus despair. And I think what what you're asking about is this interesting idea, which is, do you need to have some measure of integrity about where you've come? To? Yes. Like this has been all right. This has been enough to be able to say, I can let that go. Now. I don't have to collect another prize. I don't have to make another $10 million. I don't have to, you know, whatever it might be, this is enough. And I think that the thing that makes me sad uh, is what, you were asking about before, which is when I see people for whom it's never enough. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that, that feels, I feel sorry for them. And it's ironic because sometimes I'm feeling sorry for a billionaire, Hmm. but it's sad. It, it gives me pause to honor the seasons be grateful for that. There was a time when I was a pro cyclist and gunner for line. That time is long past. Yeah. And yeah. I can, I still watch stuff and I can, Oh, I can, I can still feel it sometimes, you know, but, uh, can I just be how, what, a, as opposed to being disappointed? Cause I can get there. I can, I can tap into that disappointed. I'm not there, but can I look back and go, what a gift I got to do that. Exactly. I mean, that's right. So the glass could either be half empty or yeah. half full. Half empty is the real losses that we suffer, right? You can't, you won't be a professional cyclist again. You just won't, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, There are things I will never do again. So we could focus on that or boy, could we focus on what's been half full for us? I mean, the experiences we've had, the the things we've been able to live through that, uh, that are, that are amazing. And that, that, you know, that, um, uh, that, that constitute a life experience that's good enough. Yeah. That's, the, that's really, and that's kind of how I feel. I feel a lot now like my life has been good enough, filled with flaws and imperfections to be sure, right? But, but, uh, but enough. Okay, and, well, I'll ask, and yet I assume you still have goals, you still have some things you want to achieve. Absolutely. But, but it's not, I guess it's not so much achieve. Like I want to get to this place. Okay. It's, I want to be 
on this path. Hmm. So for me, one of my goals is to teach more. So I like getting to talk in the way that you and I are talking about lifespan development and about how people go through life and what helps them thrive. Because I have some knowledge now from my work, right? Would that teaching ever be done? No. Would I ever reach a goal where I say, I've won the Nobel Prize for teaching about lifespan? No, I'll never do that, right? So there's never going to be an end point. So what I'm talking about is I want to stay engaged on a path rather than picking a goal and saying, I still have to get there. That, um, that, that's, that's worth the price of admission uh, for this talk, right? Seriously, Bob, that's, I just wrote it down. I, instead of, I want to get to this place, I want to be on this path. Yeah, that just hit me. Thank you. Um, that's significant right there. That's a show in and of itself that, I mean, cause you could say that, I mean, I, again, I, not to, there's a place for that. There's a place for here. We start uh, you know, out of school, wherever we do, and we want to achieve this. We want to get to this, but yeah, at this point, I haven't thought about it that way, Bob, that I, I want to, I like so much of where I'm at, I, but I want to stay on this path and back to what your word, uh, engaged. I want to stay engaged on this path. That is the achievement. It, it really, that, that makes sense because when I think about like health and wellness, I'm not looking to, at some point, I'm not going to keep setting PRs, you know, that's going to end, but I do want to stay here as much. I want to stay able. I want to be, I don't, I don't need to get to where I can do 30 pull-ups. How long can I keep to where I'm doing 10 and stay on the path? Yeah. And when you're not doing 10, would you still do eight? Would you still do six? Right. In other words, it's a path for me, at least it's a path. And that, that actually comes to me from Zen. Because Zen reminds me that we're never done. There's there's a famous saying in Zen, there is nothing to attain. That at the deepest level, we never arrive anywhere. It's always just the, um, the arising of life. And then the past, the arising of this moment and the passing away of this moment. And so the idea is to stay on a path that I feel is worthwhile mm-hmm. being alive in the world. It's interesting. My new book, what drives you, that's part of what I have in there. That's preaching to myself is, is it's not just the destination, just the greatest joy is if you just get to where you just enjoy the drive. And that's, yeah. I have to preach that to myself though. I'm a destination oriented guy. I don't, I don't care about the drive. Let's just go as fast as we can to get there. Right. And, Right, right. Well, well, I mean, think about it. Like, so you asked me to come and have this conversation with you now. Yeah. Now, I didn't do this because we're going to get so many views or downloads, right? I did this because you and I are going to have a nourishing conversation, something that mm-hmm. means something to me. It's the experience. And my hope is it will be useful to other people. But actually, I'll probably never really know, right? <laughs> I'll never really know the ramifications of having this conversation and putting it out there for other people. Mm -hmm. So what I know is that this conversation means something to me. It's worth these precious moments of my life to do this with you. That's the path. Thank you. 
Uh, I'm, I'm incredibly honored. I should probably end right there, but I want to bring it back because it, it, it brings it back to you because it, this is, this conversation is in your path. It's within the path that you want to be in and be engaged in. So you are engaging in your path. That is the achievement. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. That's it. Okay. That's, That's pretty. It. There's no other goal for me, but this right now, what we're doing. On just a tangible note, how has it changed? So when you look at the next thing that you are going towards, the path that you are on, in looking at where we started the show at, that there's a lot of activities in the past. If I wanted to do X in the past, I would have done it this way, ABC. I would have engaged in this capacity, in this role, kind of like the front lines we talked about. Now, I want to see this thing happen, but I'm going to do it in a different way role? Do you have any tangible ways? And what I'm fishing for, because what I, what our discussion was this morning in the group I was in got me thinking about, gosh, this is why I am pulling more team around me, hiring more people, partnering with more people so that we can talk about this, but then they can go do those things that they are more equipped to do than I am. Okay. So, so wait, so, so let's circle back. So the question or the point you want us to talk about is what, what is how you have done that? Is that, does that relate to, to how you're going about that in your different role? Maybe again, a trajectory that you've been on with some things, but you're going to fulfill a different role, come about it in a different way because you are in a different strength now. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, what you just said really resonated for me because I've erred on the side of doing too much myself mm. of, of just, well, okay, I'll do that. Or it's just easy to do that. And what I've come to understand is that when I let other people do what they're good at, oh my gosh, we get so much more done. And we, I have so much more fun, right? When I, when I work with people alongside people. So my co-author, Mark Schultz, is a wonderful partner because he's got strengths I just don't have. And we are a team that's so much better than either one of us would be alone. And, and what I find is that when I let myself hire other people, partner with other people, the more I do that, um, the happier I am and the, the more good stuff happens. Um, so I think that's been a, that's been a lifelong lesson for me. I don't know. I don't know what it was about my style of having to do a lot myself, but it's been something I've had to, to, to go beyond, to learn, to expand beyond. Um, and I'm still working on it. Yeah. Likewise. It feels like a new, it feels like a new habit. Um, man, I, I I'm going to walk away from this, Bob, with, that aspect of instead of achievement and looking at that differently. It feels like we may need to come back and do another show on that or, or, or <laughs> consider that for another book for you. It just feels well, you and I just, you know, it's just fun talking with you, Kevin. That's the problem. Oh, well, likewise it, it is. And that, that one, that one has me enamored. I'm going to be thinking on that. I may have to come back to you on that one with some thoughts on that of looking at achievement. Not, and I, and I really feel like it, it transcends just this conversation of, of where we are in life that I feel like I want to talk to my kids about that, that yes, there are some achievements that you want that you're going to go after, 
But as opposed to the goal being, I just want to get to this place to say, because this is what I want for them. This is part of why I wrote the book. What drives you? I want them to know what they want. And in your vernacular, what you just brought me to is it's to know the path that they want to be on, that that is, that is sustainable. That is, has a lot more grace in it. Well, because the other thing I know, again, this is from Zen, but also just from looking at life, is that we can't control the outcomes of our actions a lot of times. You know, as much as we say we're in control and we can control it, we can get to this goal, we don't really know that. What we really can control is our intentions and the paths that we put ourselves on. But we don't know how we don't know how it's going to come out. And so the thing that I come back to is what are my intentions? What do I care about? And am I setting my course for that path toward what I care about? But I can't tell how I'm going to get there or whether I'm going to get there or even what the final goal would be, mm-hmm. right? Can't control that. So I, but I can keep asking, what are my intentions? That may be the mic drop right there. Um, what are my intentions? It's yeah. What a gift. Thank you, Bob. Uh, I'm inspired. I am. I've got some things to ponder. Uh, I'll be back in your inbox with some of that, especially on that. I want to unpack that uh, a little bit more. It is wonderful. It's a, thank you. Thank you for the work that you do. I'm so uh, excited and honored to help promote the work that you are doing. I hope it does. It wasn't the sole goal. I hope it does cause people go, go buy that book, uh, the good <laughs> life and check out what Robert it's, it's profound. I, I, I honestly, Bob, I have talked about it so much. I've talked about your study. I've talked about your work. I've talked about the insights and I've talked about, yeah, just the joy that, uh, uh, what a, what a great testimony you are to a study on happiness. Cause I experience a lot of joy from you. Thank you for agreeing to do this and have a discussion with me. I'm eager to share it with everybody, but, uh, I'm just grateful. I got to have it myself. So thank you, Bob. Well, I'm grateful too. This is a pleasure. Thank you. Friends, I really hope this has you considering a reorientation of your second half of life, a graduation into harnessing the wisdom you've earned and worked so hard for. I'm incredibly inspired to move from strength to strength. Uh, Thank you so much to Robert Waldinger for joining me once again. You can find him at robertwaldinger, just like it sounds, dot com. And find our muse, Arthur Brooks, at arthurbrooks.com. Thank you for tuning in to this self-helpful podcast where I strive to help you and me elevate our personal experience and the way we show up for others. Stay driven, my friends. Stay driven, my friends.